Hey, hey Jordan, how are you holding up, man? Hey, Rob. Um, not good. No, not good. Feeling pretty disappointed. Mm-hmm. It's been a tough couple of days. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty tough. I was, uh, I was all packed and ready to go. We were flying down to Martha's Vineyard. You know, I've never been. I was really looking forward to it. We were invited to uh, the B Man's birthday party. Yeah, that's what I call Obama, as you know. And uh, yeah, it's just it's pretty disappointing. I was all ready to go, and uh, to find out that the party was kind of canceled at the last minute, or scaled back. And I guess we don't didn't make the cut. It stings a little bit, right? Yeah, I uh, was really excited. I mean, you know, so much of the pandemic was just kind of the bleakness and this inability to have anything to look forward to. And finally, you know, we had this. It was all of our faves were going to be in one spot. You know, Wall Street executives, former Obama uh, administration, uh, Barnacles, uh, Alan Dershowitz. You know, all of our favorites are going to be there. And we're. Gonna, I was looking know, forward to catching up with Rahm Emanuel. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. It's been a minute. Mm-hmm. Very disappointing. And now it's all gone. Yeah. Uh, it's it's definitely disappointing. I was really looking forward to it, but nonetheless, gotta wish a wish a happy birthday to former President Barack Obama. Uh, wonderful guy, as you know. Just you know, we just went through the whole Trump era, and just it's it's nice to think back on Obama uh, and his presidency. No scandals, you know. He had none of the he wasn't with none of the tweets, you know. It was just that tan suit. That was the only thing. That was the only thing that ever happened that was even remotely close to a scandal with him. And there was nothing else except for that. Yeah, I just, I thought I thought this was going to be a moment for us to really connect and network and advertise the show, get some, maybe get some investors, line up some, some Lincoln build. sponsors. Lincoln build on Martha's Vineyard. Come on, man. Yeah. Was, You're so close. I, I had my aviators all picked out. It was going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, like I know, I know you're disappointed. I'm certainly disappointed as well. One bright spot, as we saw last night, kind of dodged a bullet there in that Ohio special election. Uh, noted Bernie bro, Nina Turner, not successful. And I know that was we were kind of sweating that a little bit. I was feeling I felt pretty good about the advice that we gave to uh, to the Chantel Brown campaign. So uh, you know, it's been a disappointing week, um, but that that is one bright spot. I got to say, I was feeling pretty good about that one. Really dodged yep. a bullet there. Yeah. Um, uh, and on that front, this, I guess it is a bright spot. We got a, we got a contract um, from the DCCC. They want us to do some narrative building, a narrative campaign, reinforcing this win and helping develop some talking points for surrogates, but how this is a, a comeback story, a real underdog story. So I, I just, yeah. I've got some notes here and I think what we really should should hammer home is look if you work hard enough you don't give up you don't play into this type of divisive uh strategy that you know turner's campaign was running that you anybody who wants to run for office if you work hard you get out there and knock on doors and in the last few weeks of the campaign you get two million dollars in in super PAC spending yeah. kneecapping your opponent you too can win a congressional race anything is possible if you just believe in yourself and have two million dollars in super PAC backing kneecapping your opponent with just weeks to go it's really quite simple 
Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to see. Like we've talked mm-hmm. about American democracy. It's to, you know, you don't always get the result you want, but you love to see it in action. And this was just a, a really inspiring victory with a really inspiring candidate, uh, a great staff, a great team of activists, and of course the democratic majority for Israel. And just though when those things come together, that's that's American democracy. That's grassroots power, baby. Yep. We love it. Mhm. Hello, hello, and welcome, everyone. It's the Insurgents, episode seventy-four. Uh, Rob Rousseau here, along with Jordan Ewell. Not even giving him the opportunity to do the thing where he pretends what's going not on. To, yeah. Um, <laughs> what's going on, guys? What's up, guys? What's going on, guys? Back that? with another Insurgents episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Rain Total Body Fuel. And when you're feeling down and when you don't have the super pack backing you to get out there, to knock on doors, to say, hey, look, I'm taking corporate interest to the people of Cleveland. Just chug a Rain Total Body Fuel. Everything that we say on this show is sponsored by Rain. So yeah. promo code Rob's Nude in the in the uh, in, in the in the shopping cart on Rain's website gives you twenty percent off. Yeah, I recommend the orange dreamsicle flavor. Very Is that nice. really a flavor? Yeah, it's tremendous. Actually, I, <laughs> I, I told I, I you about enjoy it. Cotton candy unicorn or whatever rainbow unicorn I keep seeing from the yeah. psychopaths over at Bang yeah. and my local Walgreens. It's actually against my like contract that I signed, my very lucrative contract that I signed <laughs> with Rain Energy Corporation to, mm-hmm. to drink that. But I'm sure it's I'm sure it's all right. Um. Happy birthday, man! It was your birthday. Oh yeah, thanks. What, did, you, did you do anything cool on your birthday? What did you What did you get up to? Yeah, it's fine. Okay, can you can elaborate on that or? I'm not a birthday person. Uh, <laughs> it's fine though. You're a birthday well, I... Scrooge as well as a Christmas yeah. Scrooge. I see. Yeah, I don't like Christmas either. Um, <laughs> we went over. Don't this. like my birthday. <laughs> I don't know. Just, just it was fine. Did did you do anything cool though, or did you just like just, just yeah. another day? Yeah, my partner uh, asked what I wanted to do for my birthday, and uh, I wanted to go use the Coca Cola free freestyle machine at the gas station. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's glaring at me right now. She did a bunch of really sweet things, but I like to lead with this because it's funny. But she's in the hallway right now. And she's glaring at me. She's furious. Okay. I'm downplaying, so in addition to I'm the very nice, it. thoughtful yeah, things she that did she did, amazing did. things. It was yeah. great. But like personally, for me, I, all I wanted in life was just a trip to the gas station, and she made that happen because she's great. That sounds what that sounds all right. What kind of soda did you get from the the machine? I got a vanilla Coke Zero, and it's like impossible to get those in stores anywhere. So I it uh, hits different from the machine as well. I'm a big soda slaps. proponent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't sound so bad. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad you had a good. I'm glad you had a good time. Um, we don't have a ton of time to work with here. It's getting pretty late, and we have a long conversation coming up with none other than uh, Twitch streamer extraordinaire Mike from PA or Central Committee over on Twitch, and everything that's going on. Uh, in American politics right now over the last week, uh, the Nina Turner race that we, we kind of touched on, the eviction moratorium, and we talked to Mike about all this stuff, and he has a whole lot, he's got a whole lot of takes for you. So we don't want to take up too much time before we bring on Mike and his uh, his his very spicy takes on all this stuff. Let's get him. Let's get him in here. 
Let's, Let's do kick it. the spice up a notch. <laughs> Hell yeah. I love it. I love the attitude. Um, yeah, let's do that. We're going to bring on Mike from PA, and he's going to be joining the show right after this. joined by mike from pa who goes by central committee on twitch and what what a streak we have developing here yet another more talented streamer than rob i'm so (laughs) happy to have this consistent streak of much better uh, streamers come in to guest on the show so again for the third third episode in a row uh if you are on the fence about what show to watch watch mike's true Uh, mike thank you for joining us my goodness well i'm glad to be here thank you for having me um it is true that i am the most talented streamer that you've had on the podcast so far uh so i'm glad that we're on agreement early well we've had hassan on a few times so you got you got to fight him for the belt okay you're bringing the himbo that's what you're doing. We got we've got himbo power the himbo uh, power in the early catalog of episodes i don't have the instagram okay you got to work on the abs. I think that's what it is. It's, yeah. the ab, it's the abs and the hair. I was thinking about the, the fits, I've got too. the hair already. He's got. I got the okay. hair. I mean, I have that advantage over him. Like, have you seen the hairline? But, um, <laughs> oh boy, I am. I am. I Yikes. need to work on the abs. We're gonna have a that's beef. The next thing. That's uh-huh. the next thing. Is this a beef brewing? A streamer <sighs> beef? No, 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 no beef. No beef. <laughs> Just facts. Um, Mike, we start all these episodes off the same way with a really tough. Um, question just to kind of get a better understanding of who we're dealing with and Mike I've asked everyone now I have to ask you Mike are you a gamer yeah of course I mean gamer oh, culture God. is important to me um, you know so we are the most oppressed class thank you I've been saying yeah. it so this allows me kind of like to win the oppression Olympics anytime right <laughs> yes I am a well a, a, you know a educated white man um, but I am also a gamer. You're a gamer American. <laughs> that allows me to go to the front of the progressive stack. You know, whenever Thank we're you. doing a progressive stack, like people are uh-huh. like lining up and then I say gamer and they're like right to the oh, front of the line. Oh, sir. shit, yeah. sir. I'm so sorry. Let's yeah. center your experience. Exactly. Let's, let's center your experience points. Uh, <laughs> you got it. Mike, what, what have you been playing lately? Um, gosh, you know, this is so embarrassing, but there's a game called Rim World. It is a like a little base builder game, um, and they just released released an expansion called Ideology. And oh boy. basically, the the premise of the game is you have this colony of people that land in these escape pods on like on a world out in the rim, and you kind of like building up their technology, managing their resources, and then they get attacked and 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 you know so forth and so on. And so you try to rebuild a ship to launch off of the planet again at the end. So. It's one of those games I can chill out and just kind of vegetate and play for hours on end. Um, nice. And you know, so I need some of that lately. Yeah, yeah. I, I like those. I like that that style of game. For me, that's it's really just magic as my veg out game. But I, game. I need to check this out. It's a great game. Yeah. Rob, what about you? Um, I'm still, if I'm going to be gaming lately, it's it's probably Fortnite. I must admit, <laughs> ever yeah. since the ever since the fundraiser, again I've not been really gaming the last couple of weeks though because I've been in vacation mindset. 
I've been getting some lake lake time with my family, which has been very nice. Like I was saying before, though, I have been going back and forth between there and and here in Montreal to toil away in the content mines. And I know Mike, yeah. Mike, you know, you know what this is all about. You're oh, a absolutely. you're a fellow a fellow content miner, right? Yeah, no, of course. I mean, for me, it's a compulsion now. You know, it's like you yeah. can feel this invisible cord connecting from your chest to the computer, and if you haven't <laughs> given them enough content for the day. You feel this compulsion pulling you closer. Um, it's almost, you know, I can feel the the wiring in my brain has been changed, has been rewired, so to speak. Yeah. So that I now produce the content. And then once I produce the content, I can I may then live. Well, the way Twitch kind of like gamifies everything and, and, and incentivizes you to keep coming back again and again and again. Yes. Also, I don't know you, but in terms of like the community that follows my stuff, they just get very angry and upset if I'm not there. So I just, I feel like I'm sort of responsible for that and I have to, I have to give them the goods, you know? People sometimes ask me, what is, uh, what's a, a, a trick to Twitch success? And I would say consistency is definitely part of it, you know? And I feel the same way. I feel like I have to do it because of that responsibility with my community. There's like a parasocial loop. Where, you know, if I let them down, then I'm letting myself down. You can't do that. You got to have the content. Yeah. Also, I'm not in therapy and it's kind of, it's kind of a nice little like, instead of doing that, I have my, I can bounce all my, my issues off of my community and everything like that. Dude's, so. dude's rock. We don't need therapy. You unpack your traumas. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's it. Captive audience. They have to listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's then, great. And then they're the ultimate enablers too. So if you have any unhealthy behavior, you could just be like, is this unhealthy? They'll be like, no, no, no. And you're like, yeah, thank I you. I have thousand yeah. people telling me that I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Like I could keep doing it. No problem. Yeah. Crisis averted. Who are you, mom? I got a thousand people over here. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. What do you guys want to talk about today? There's not much going on. Kind of a slow news week. Yeah. <laughs> Took one on the chin last night. So we're recording this on Wednesday. And of course, people who've been following this show or Mike's stream or Rob's stream or my stream, you understand what we've been focused on. That's, you know, largely the Nina Turner special election. This is for Ohio's 11th seat. And Mike just went out to Ohio a couple weekends ago to help Duke get out the vote efforts. Uh, document what was happening on the ground. And Mike, you and I just talked on TYT the other day about what you saw and you left feeling invigorated, inspired. I think most people thought Nina had it in the bag, but we had kind of all had this like looming anxiousness and feeling that the the dark money, the big super PAC money, this is Republican billionaires, corporate interests funneling money into Democratic majority for Israel, their PAC, DMFI, which ended up spending around $2 million in the final weeks of the election to attack Nina Turner and prop up Chantel Brown. And ultimately, they prevailed. She won by, you know, a couple thousand votes. It was a very, very low turnout. 16% of eligible voters turned out to vote yesterday uh, or, or in early voting. And that's that's pretty bad. Um, and people, you know, you see a lot of, like, autopsies about this race. And I saw on TYT last night, people were like, this is a huge blow to the progressive movement. And I'm not quite there mentally but i also don't think it really matters as much as other people are trying to say this is about the future uh of, of the democratic party and the direction it's heading uh mike and rob i mean what are your, what are your takeaways on this well if you don't mind i'm gonna jump in with just like a, a couple thoughts you know starting with what i That's what experienced, you're here for what i experienced uh oh, yeah. when i was out there in cleveland and i'm not gonna say that i sugarcoated it but there were some concerns and some red flags for me you know, when I was there in Cleveland, um, that I didn't really get into before the election. And I hoped that, uh, it was just me being hypercritical 
because I am an old, uh, you know, campaign staffer, I've run campaigns before, you know, I've worked as a field organizer, I've worked as a political director, um, you know, I've done the on the ground work. And I got to tell you, like, I kind of when I heard AOC was going out there to, to do get out the vote for Nina, I was talking to my community, I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna go out this weekend. If anybody wants to come out, this is not like a big Mike from PA self aggrandizing, let me tweet about how great of an organizer I am. I'm just going out there myself. If anybody wants to come and, and help me come and we'll go do some canvassing. So I think like 15 or 20 members of my community showed up, which is, you know, pretty great for the short notice. And I, they, you know, I ended up being late because my flight got delayed by a drunk guy on the plane, which is a side story. But um, <laughs> they got there. And that drunk guy was me. No, yeah, Rob, I know. I wish, uh, yeah, I would have tackled you. Um, Rob but, ended up getting duct taped to his seat. Right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it was United, so the crew was applauded. Um, <laughs> uh, um, and so I got there late, so I wasn't there. And my community showed up to, I think it was a working families party, uh, uh, get out the vote event. And they ran out of turf. Uh, in other words, like they didn't have doors for them to dock. So like... I think like eight of my people got together and went and knocked like 40 doors. And that's not good, folks. Um, there's no such thing as running out of turf. That's not a real, that like, that's just like being unprepared and being disorganized, which, you know, okay, fine. But when you lose by a couple thousand votes, that can really make an impact over the course of a whole campaign. And then when I went, when I, it's funny, I went to another event at a local union hall where they were doing a phone bank later in the evening. And again, they didn't have any phone calls for me to make. And I sat back as an old organizer and I said, nah, you know what? That's not right. I know you have phone calls. So I was kind of a little bit of a, a, a insistent. And eventually they got me like 40, 50 calls. And, you know, I burned through them in a half an hour because I could do a hundred an hour easy. And I was just like, uh, this is, you know, that concerned me right off the bat. It, it was, it was like, you have all these extra volunteers coming in and the energy was not properly utilized. I ended up having a conversation with two organizers who I'm going to let remain anonymous for now. Uh, one of them was kind of like the lowest level field organizer. And one was a volunteer that literally moved to Cleveland to like help with this campaign. They were that passionate. And yeah, that's noble. And they just felt like the, you know, campaign was poorly led. You know, the, the, the mid tier staff, the upper tier staff was pulled from uh, a governor's race. This guy named Cordray who uh, lost um, uh, the race for Ohio governor, who was kind of an establishment figure. And there was a lot of people like that in Nina's campaign from the Ohio Democratic Party, which has had a disastrous record in the last decade, taking it from a purple state to what amounts to a deep red state. And so we had this kind of like, we had this kind of identity crisis in Nina's campaign, right? Where she was trying to play nice and bring in all these Ohio Democratic Party people. And then um, they didn't really run the campaign in a traditional, like, left progressive way. They had a bunch of these, like, what amounts to Democratic Party flunkies inside. And, you know, as I understand why Nina did what she did. Uh, time trying to, you know, be the heir apparent, try to get, you know, the Democratic Party behind her and just kind of cruise. But it seems to me that when, you know, Chantel Brown got the establishment to step in, they were kind of found, they were, they were flat footed and they didn't have a response for something that they should have seen coming. I mean, she has, she has contacts in that area. Like she has, um, you know, 
prior relationships from when she was a state senator and when she ran for secretary of state. So uh, I, I was just kind of like marveling at how some of these people just turned on her, not like the people you're mentioning, but other people in the Ohio Democratic establishment just turned on her because she's now like associated with Bernie and it's ultimately an insider's game. That was her biggest crime, was just not being a, a loyal Democrat. She stepped, she dared to step out of line to get out of the uh, party apparatus and do her own thing, and they resented her for it. That's why the big guns came in. That's why Clyburn came in. That's why Clinton came in. That's why all these people worked together, and that's why super PACs got involved, like Third Way, uh, and Third Way's uh, PAC arm got involved to smear her. Um, this is somebody they thought was fit for a statewide office. It was yeah. All the third way spending was 100 percent negative. By the way, mm -hmm. yeah. DMFIs was about 50-50. Yeah. It seems to me that like one kind of inescapable conclusion from from this race and other things, like particularly the the Bernie Sanders presidential primary, is that as much as I'm sure this this like very well organized and well funded kind of smear campaign uh, came into effect over the final couple of weeks of this race. Uh, and I'm sure it had an impact, but I believe Nina, in terms of the fundraising, still out fundraised her opponent in this race, right? Like she still had, she still did a, quite a lot of fundraising for this race, right? Yeah, but like that was th that's not included. People are saying, "Oh, Nina outspent Chantal Brown two to one." Yes, if you don't include any of the outside spending, so she raised more, but she also didn't okay. run a a massive like negative campaign against Chantel Brown. Yeah. She, you know, she spent that on fields. She spent yeah. that on advertisements still, but then DMFI came in and spent a million alone just on negative ads. So it, the spending was about equal. Yeah. Okay. I, but if you include the outside spending with the campaign spending, I think Chantel probably had it shaded by a couple hundred thousand total uh, on yeah. her side, you know, but Nina had way more inside the campaign spending you know, I okay. I just don't have full clarity from like if I was inside the campaign, I could tell you exactly where the money went and exactly how many ads they had versus, you know, these are some like some very deep consultant or at campaign style like postmortems, which I think really do matter in cases this close. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the money game as far as like Chantel Brown versus Nina on money was pretty even. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess the point I'm trying to make, though, is that obviously the outside money has a huge impact, the corporate money that was going into uh, Chantel's campaign. Um, it does seem like one unavoidable conclusion, though, and again, this this harkens back to the, the presidential primary, is that there is a just a segment of like reliable Democratic voter who do just kind of take their cues from the Democratic Party establishment oh, yeah. and from the media um, and basically just vote who they're told to vote for. Um and that you could probably pull a lot of these folks and pull popular progressive policies like Medicare for all, uh, free college and all these things that people like Bernie Sanders or Nina Turner have stood for. And these things would pull very well. But when it comes down to it, there just seems to be a lot of sort of liberal voters in the United States who ultimately will just line up behind who the who the leaders of the party tell them to line up behind. Like we saw that with Joe Biden uh, and we saw that in this race as well. It, that seems to be like part of the, one of the main obstacles to any of these sort of insurgent campaigns, these sort of Justice Democrat style campaigns to primary these more establishment Democrats with more progressive challengers. That's always going to be the main difficulty. You know, I, there's something that Ryan Grimm once said to me, which is basically that um, it's called like the punditizing of the primary electorate which is basically a lot of people who vote in the primary or the democratic primary, they're not voting on their values. They're not voting on what policy they think is the best. They're voting on what they think some magical 
swing voter is going to like in a general. They're voting to win. They're voting as a pundit. They're voting as a consultant. And we have, in the Democratic Party base has been trained to kind of look at campaigns through the spectacle of the horse race. And yeah, they're very progressive. When you actually ask them their policies, you know, Medicare for all, 85%, free college, 80%. You go down the the progressive wish list. If you talk to a Democratic Party-based voter and say, do you think this is a good policy? They agree. They love it. But a lot of them, when it comes to their voting, like, actions, they take their cues, Rob, exactly from who you say, which is the Democratic Party establishment, the trusted elites, the mainstream media like CNN and MSNBC, and what their analysts say is the most like electable or the most credible or who, you know. And so for a lot of people, you know, they like, it's not that they don't like Bernie Sanders. They do like Bernie Sanders. It's just that Joe Biden is the president, that, you know, Barack Obama is the president. And these people are extremely popular to them. You know, they like all of the above. It can be hard for some of us who are more ideologically left to think of somebody who's like, I love Joe. I love Bill Clinton. I love Barack Obama. I love Bernie Sanders. I love AOC. That's actually the average Democratic voter, you know, and they probably agree more politically with Bernie and AOC. But when they see their, you know, consultants or their or the pundits saying, hey, Listen, you may agree with Bernie or, or AOC, but they're going to lose because they're too far left for the country. You got to vote for the smart, mature choice that's going to win or who's going to work closer with Biden. And, you know, they go along with that. Yeah, like all these people, it's like they've basically been conditioned to believe that if the Democratic Party ever does anything good, um, that's like an electoral loser. So you just can't do anything. We don't deserve any of that stuff. We can't do it. Um that's and that's a really serious roadblock, you know. That's uh, yeah. A- yeah, Rob. I I I think that might simplify just a little bit. It's more like <laughs> possibly like the, like Biden wants to do fifteen dollar. This is the idea. Biden wants to do the fifteen dollar minimum wage, but he's being blocked by whatever you know villain of the week. This is a Glenn Greenwald uh, concept that he came up years ago with when he before he went off the rock went off the deep end, and he basically he called it villain rotation, which is basically the idea that. You have whatever progressive policy is part of the Democratic base uh, or the platform. And then when it actually comes up, when the Democrats are in power, you have a senator pop up who's against it and it frustrates it. Oh, we can't do it. And then the next week, it's a different senator that pops up and you're constantly rotating through this cast of villains. And so it's not that Joe Biden doesn't want to do the $4 trillion infrastructure package. It's just Joe Manchin is blocking him and he's powerless before god king mm. joe mansion right yeah and so nothing he can do yeah and they get frustrated at progressives because we're saying this is bs you know what we can't do this thing put pressure on joe mansion they're like you're just unrealistic you don't know what we, you know you, you don't know anything about the civics or whatever uh, excuse and and so that allows them to maintain the i support this position but you're being unrealistic you're dividing the party you're being you know hypercritical and you know i think that is the narrative that is working, believe it or not. I, I, I don't know what to say, but I think that is, is working with a lot of Democratic-based voters. It's, it's, it's this idiom. This, they hate progressives more than fascists or conservatives, however you want that statement to end. And you see that play out with how they treated Nina Turner. Um, this is a good demonstration um, to the extent they're willing to stoop to kneecap a progressive uh, to maintain institutional power to protect themselves, and while you have people like Mansion and Cinema who are in their own party, uh, and Mansion who just this weekend is now exposed because of a COVID outbreak, 
COVID spread with Lindsey Graham, exposed to be boating with Prayers a bunch of people them, who, you know, basically ran cover for Trump for the last uh, four years and who absolutely would never work with, with the Democrats on anything. And that's your guy who's who's holding holding up this agenda that people like Chantel Brown are running on saying they're going to help enact. You can't do shit because of people like Kirsten, uh, Kristen Cinema and, and Joe Manchin. So those are, I mean, I, I, I definitely agree that the villain of the week rotates, but like those are ab- absolutely consistent villains until they get the fuck out of the way so you can kill the filibuster and actually do anything. Um, it, it's, it's just wasting everyone's time to even try to uh, act like progressives are the real threat because they weren't sufficiently deferential to people in power. I, I I was talking to uh, to, to Dave uh, Weigel on Twitter, and he said that one of the messages that hit really hard, and people on Twitter kind of like laughed off as "No, that can't be real." Was the bullshit comment? Do you guys do you guys know what this mm-hmm. is, Rob? Do you know the bullshit yeah. comment? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Basically, uh, if you're not aware, listeners, uh, it was a comment where Nina Turner said, uh, you know, voting for Joe Biden is just like eating half a bowl of shit and voting for you know Donald Trump is like eating a full bowl of shit. And, you know, voting for Joe, you know, whether or not you like it, you're still eating shit. Um, yep. It's the lesser of two evils. Right. And <laughs> and that apparently, you know, from talks, you know, with voters on the ground, according to Dave and reporters that were there, that was something that continued to come up in conversations with voters and it goes back to that earlier earlier argument we were making which is like they like all these people and when nina turner is up there you know crapping on joe biden you know it's kind of against going against the team you know how would you feel about a team player who is insulting the captain you know let's assume you're playing sports i'm sure there's a lot of sports ball fans in the audience but Imagine you're playing oh, yeah. sports and one of the, you know, players is just sitting there insulting, you know, the captain of the team. You know, you're you're going to be pushing back against that person because they're interfering with you beating the other side. So when Nina Turner said that, you know, that gave them a sound bite. Um, and, you know, when you have two million dollars and the best you can do is that apparently, you know, that worked with a lot of people. Yeah, I I mean, you, you kind of. Yeah, you touched on it, but it's because people view politics as a team sport because we only have two parties to pick from. Um, that's so unbelievably toxic and in the long run detrimental to uh, uh, society when we have just an apparatus that filters people into one or the other when there's really it ultimately boils down to a narcissism, a narcissism of small differences. Um, I think what she said was, while crude, a fair comment, but they don't want to. They don't want to acknowledge that. I mean, look at how people are responding to uh, Obama's birthday today. Completely whitewash his entire record as, as they had the entire year. They don't care. Look at how they behave with, Ob- with, with things Biden does. Continuing immigration policies, even breaking the law to continue immigration policies instituted by Trump after previously saying the exact same things were racist, xenophobic, whatever. They don't care. Nobody cares about any of this kind of stuff. There's a, just a deafening silence on immigration in general after uh, up to a point where they were doing nationwide mobilizations in response to Trump's immigration policies and now nothing. They don't actually care about any of this kind of stuff. It's their identity that they've formed in this paraso- parasocial relationship that they've developed with the Democratic Party that they feel a sense of pride, a, f- a sense of superiority, um, that they're a Democrat and that's wow that's okay great that helps maybe to some extent for civic participation it's ultimately detrimental because it leads to things like this a knee-jerk reaction and ultimately doing the bidding 
of Republicans. Now, this is a campaign that was funded by Republican billionaires. You had people who were cozy with Trump maxing out to Chantel Brown. You have uh, corporate interests and Republicans funneling huge sums of money into DMFI, which then, you know, supported Chantel Brown. And you had people like Bill Kristol telling Republicans, go get a, a ballot and vote for Chantel Brown. Do you, and you are, this is, you are handing a victory to Republicans. That's who they wanted. You picked the Republican-backed candidate. Congratulations, liberals, because you cannot differentiate when someone says, okay, this this sucks. This is a shitty deal. He is. And that's why people attacked him mercilessly uh, in the primary. That's why people who then went on to endorse him uh, insinuated earlier in the campaign that he was potentially suffering from dementia or, or experiencing mental and cognitive decline. All of these people knew he was unfit. That's why he'd been repudiated by voters at the national level multiple times. But because he was safe, and because he was cozy with James, James, Cly, James Clyburn, and because he had the super PAC backing, he ended up winning. Is this a system you want to protect? It's really quite simple. You just have to see through it. And I'm glad progressives do and grow and learn from it. But like, you handed a, a victory to Republicans here because because of the stupid knee jerk reaction, uh, this this team sport mentality. You handed a huge victory to Republicans. When I when I look at the when I look at like average everyday voter and you know where to place the blame, you know the other thing that we should keep in mind, we don't want to decontextualize this. This is a low turnout special election in August of a you know odd year. This is going to be the time where the type of person who shows up is going to be the ones that most strongly personally identify with the Democratic Party. If you want to be more of a bloomer and more positive about the future, if you look at the races of, you know, Marie Newman in Illinois or Cori Bush uh, in St. Louis, like in 2018, midterm primary, a little bit lower turnout, they were both defeated. In fact, Cori Bush got destroyed. She lost by 19 points in, in the 2018 primary. Marie Newman has a, had a closer race there in Illinois. But in 2020, in the higher turnout presidential year primary, they were both able to flip and take seats on their second time around. You know, we have Jessica Cisneros, who's going to be running uh, down in the border region of Texas. That's another opportunity um, to, to go again. And so when I when I look at this race and, and, and I see... You know, listen, millions of dollars poured in the ears of the type of person who just strongly personally identifies as a Democrat using, you know, arguments that are structured towards, you know, this person isn't as much of a Democrat, isn't as reliable, isn't as much of a friend of Joe Biden. Um, I don't think that works in a different context as well. And, um, you know, I still think that this longer term doesn't represent a viable electoral path going forward. You know, the one thing, you know, when you look back in the history of the Democratic Party and its biggest failures, it's when they have decided to pick these type of candidates, the safer candidate, the centrist candidate that they've underperformed. I wanted to ask you, Mike, about um, there's kind of become a very vocal contingent of people who somewhat justifiably, I think, are just like completely disillusioned with the Democratic Party at all um, and electoral politics as a thing. And are kind of getting fed up with this this process of running running progressive candidates in this kind of justice democrat kind of fashion uh in an effort to kind of shift the democratic party left um this is an argument that i'm like somewhat sympathetic to because like you know it's it's 
are, you know, the, the Democratic Party, it's it's hard to feel a lot of hope that, that good things can be accomplished with that. But I think part of me, I'm also like, I think a lot more understanding of this strategy because, and I think you can probably agree with me on this, uh, Mike, I've talked about it before, like I've been paying fairly close attention to, you know, American politics for a while now. And, you know, if you go back to like 10, 15 years ago, like there's just no one like, like an AOC or like a, like a Rishi Tlaib or a Cory Bush in the party, you know, you had fucking like Alan Grayson. And like, that was, if you're kind of a progressive leaning person, like that's your guy, that's, that's kind of like championing these values. Um, and now all of a sudden you know, the democratic party is a completely different makeup. And yeah, it's not nearly enough to really like have that wield that much influence. But I think you can see that there is like progress being made. And like, this is kind of an ongoing thing that's going to, there's going to be successes, there's going to be failures. But um, even though I might be skeptical about, you know, how much can be accomplished using this kind of strategy, like can can enough people kind of get involved in the Democratic Party to eventually like vote vote the United States out of capitalism or imperialism? Like probably not. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the strategy should be completely abandoned, you know? But there's people still that I feel like have now just kind of oriented themselves entirely towards completely shitting on this whole strategy who have made like attacking members of this sort of progressive caucus or the squad or whatever you want to call it their kind of main their main thing that they do so where what's your stance on that like where do, what do you feel about where the strategy is at and then and how much can be accomplished with this this ongoing effort to um you know run these kind of insurgent candidates and and slowly shift the democratic party into these having better values i feel like this is kind of a results oriented thinking which is like i don't want to say it's the hallmark of like immaturity or inexperience but like the idea that because you got a certain outcome in a certain event, that means the entire strategy was completely flawed is foolish, to say the least. Um, and the alternatives aren't really, there's no real clear alternative. Uh, and just waving your hand and saying direct action, which is important, or mutual aid, which is important, right? That's why I'm such a strong supporter of, of DSA, because the Democratic Socialists of America have political education. They have you know, uh, direct action, they do mutual aid, they do issue organizing, and they do electoral work, right? And it's all and it's in, in support labor as well. These are all interlapping and overlapping and re mutually reinforcing, right? And I think anybody who's been in the left, now I was in politics before Bernie Sanders, all right? Um, I remember what it was like to be, quote, a progressive Dem, you know? Uh, and there just wasn't a horizon. And the thing is, there wasn't robust socialist, you know, non-electoral movements that have been cannibalized. It's the contrary. Bernie Sanders coming out there and, and speak, you know, uh, while running for electoral office actually invigorated a lot of these movements. So the question of one like, hey, will Bernie Sanders get, you know, be elected and then put socialism in is kind of missing the point of where we are in the political development of the United States left and the actual conditions that are on the ground now we don't have a robust strong labor movement we do not have a uh, energized ideologically aware working class we don't have high levels of class consciousness and political engagement among workers like we are building from the ground up and these electoral campaigns the purpose of them is to extract as many concessions as we can from the state while also creating non-reformist reforms that build up the potentialities for further political uh, growth toward the left. This is this is kind of like basic stuff. And the thing is, running as a third party is an electoral strategy. You're still doing electoralism if you're running as a third party. Yeah. You're just doing it in a different way. 
And the thing is, if the Democratic Party is going to let me take the nomination of the Democratic Party and shut out the centrists from even running in the general, I'm going to do it. And, you know, there's a there's a, uh, a friend of mine, Michael Brooks, uh, you know, uh, rest in power, um, had a uh, there's a guy named Japari Brisport running in New York. Right. And he ran first as a Green Party candidate and he got the high. The, he was the best performing Green Party candidate in New York City. He got like 25 percent of the vote. He got destroyed. Right. And the very next cycle, he decided to run in the Democratic primary for the New York State Senate as a progressive, as a socialist, and he got the DSA endorsement. And what do you know? He won. He won the Democratic Party primary. And then guess what? He's now a New York State senator. And there are other examples, you know, of running as a third party. And I'm not against running as a third party when it's tactically sound. For example, in Philadelphia, um, Kendra Brooks ran under the Working Families Party um, ticket and defeated a Republican to take a seat on the on the uh, Philadelphia City Council because Philadelphia City Council reserved two seats for the, quote, minority party, right? So it made sense. Oh, we have these two seats reserved for, a, a, you know, the not Democratic Party. I'm going to run as the Working Families Party as the third party, and I'm going to knock off one of these Republicans and, and then push the, the, the council to the left. Tactically, it can sometimes make sense. But the idea that you will abandon the Democratic Party when we're winning more seats than ever and the progressive, you know, uh, caucus is bigger than ever is kind of madness. You know, this is something that I was talking about with with my community recently, which is Bernie Sanders started the uh, progressive cog, uh, excuse me, progressive uh, caucus in Congress with three people in 1990, I believe. And now it has 100. And so this is, ha you know, not all hundred of those are the, are the people that we love. There's a lot of, you know, there's a few de a dozen or so people that are kind of like straddling the border and trying to protect themselves. But you have dozens of people that many of you have never heard of, you know, who are actually on Medicare for all, on the Green New Deal, on these issues that are winning. And the Democratic Party is certainly not a left wing party at this point, but there is a left wing contingent. And they're the, you know, we're building off of something that's a decade long, long project. And if you're going to offer an alternative, you know, I have to actually see some real results. And I can tell you, if you, if you know about Canadian politics, just having a third party doesn't suddenly mean that. <laughs> Believe me, I know this. Yes. <laughs> you know, there's the NDP in, the, in Canada, right? There's the liberals, there's NDP and the conservatives, right? And yeah. just because there's a more left party doesn't suddenly mean that it wins all the place. You know, it, it splits the vote, <laughs> you yeah. know, and in some places the NDP wins, but you know, people end up making tactical votes, you know, cause they want to beat the other side. Yes. So it's, or if you look at the UK, they have the greens, they have the SDP, they have liberal Democrats, they have labor. And what ha ended up, ends up happening is you have four or five different parties with vaguely left-wing policies. And they're splitting the votes all over the place. And the conservatives are winning with 35, 40% of the vote. So just having a third party doesn't magically mean that you're going to ride yourself, you know, ride, uh, uh, you know, into power. It's just, it's just kind of like baby brain, not really looking into the history of, of politics, understanding what electoral politics can and cannot do, where we are in the context of the left and the history of America. And so it just, it frustrates me because... It's kind of pointless nihilism. You know, there's a quote um, about that where, you know, cynicism about politics is just cowardice in disguise. It's cowardice disguised, uh, disguised as toughness. 
And huh. so like yeah. you you go, "Oh, we'll never take over the Democratic Party." Uh, you're you're stupid, you're dumb, and you don't want to actually you know, put your emotions in Nina Turner winning. And then if she loses, you don't want to feel the pain. You don't want to be embarrassed. So instead of avoiding that, to avoid the pain and embarrassment of 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 committing to something and watching it fail, which is a real risk, folks, you decide to be cynical and say nothing will ever change. And you know what? That's a very easy position to take, but it doesn't make the world any better. Yeah, we saw that a lot with the eviction moratorium uh, conversations before we saw uh, Corey yeah. Bush's move successful, that people were calling it performative, that nothing was going to change, that it's just self-aggrandizing and this and that. And then things changed because it was kind of it was impossible uh, for the Biden administration to ignore the growing number of, of progressive legislators sitting on the steps outside the House. And sometimes protest is performative. That's the whole point of a protest. It's to bring attention to something that isn't being talked about. And uh, while Cori Bush had been talking about this specifically for months because she was homeless in the past and she knows how much it sucks, she had been talking about it, but for the, the vast majority of Americans did not know this was coming. And then suddenly it expired. And then with 48 hours or so to go, the Biden administration uh, said, OK, no, no, it's it's Congress's job and Congress just didn't have a plan or wasn't prepared. So she sat out there because what happened under Trump was they extended it. They used the CDC to implement it and then eventually extend it. So uh, this is something that was possible and everyone knew it was possible and they just didn't want to do it. You can read into donations and, and financial interests and personal interests, whatever. Uh, but. They knew this, the, the progressive legislators knew it was possible, so they did something, and they were successful. And people just could not comprehend that. And you still had people showing up, even on Friday night. I went down, I went down there Saturday night, and I can kind of bring this whole thing full circle. But on Friday night, someone went down there to scream about force the vote, to yell at Ilhan <laughs> Omar about force the vote, which I guess led to chatter on Twitter, which led um, other people to show up on Saturday night before Il after Ilham was already gone and in another state to then. Uh, press Cory Bush, who has been outside for multiple days for a specific issue, to ask about force the vote in conversations with somebody else the night prior about force the vote. I cannot think of a better demonstration of how tunnel-brained these people are. They cannot see how a a a clearly failed tactical strategy that ultimately would have resulted in Pelosi keeping power in a failed floor vote by their own admission is still worthy of conversation several months later as the nation is reeling <laughs> and dealing with a, a potentially 7 to 11 million people being evicted in one month. And this was Saturday night before it actually officially expired. That's what they were there filming her about, asking her about, and bravely being shut down by her staff because it doesn't fucking matter at the end of the day. Your your failed strategy in January does not matter today. I'm sorry. Get over it. And some of these same people last night were cheering when Nina Turner was losing because they were so excited to see people like Jank or people on TYT, people who didn't agree with them on Force the Vote or don't like Jimmy Dore or whatever, be upset. And I think it's a perfect example of what you just said, that this type of cynicism, not standing for anything, complaining, complaining even. When, when this was happening, when the eviction moratorium was, was, was looming, my friend and I put together a quick microsite, endevictionsnow.com. With three different things you could do, because ultimately people are powerless, but there's a couple different things you could do. You can call, you can call Congress, you can tweet, and you could sign petitions. 
you could do other things, but the the legality of which are are uncertain uh, or or, are a little bit more murky. So in order to direct people without causing incitement, these are three things you could do. So that's what we did. And people were tweeting, this isn't going to change anything. None of this works. They're going to ignore that petition. They don't care. Nothing is going to change. This is pointless. Well, guess what? Things changed. And those people who sat around and complained and said nothing can get better were not part of it. So are you in or are you in the way? Yeah, well, you see, if Nina had won, though, she would have just joined the hashtag fraud squad. And then <laughs> so you just you're just saving yourself from the inevitable disappointment when they would have become, you know, Nancy Pelosi's lackeys or whatever. I think that was the kind of argument about this. Well, the, the thing the thing about me that's always that's always kind of annoyed me about this is the logic of it in on its face is is it's just absurd. The idea that somebody makes a floor vote against Medicare for all, it goes down, you know, 300 to 120, say, right? And that was going to what? Result in a groundswell that throws out 100 Democratic Congress people? This is the yeah, most bafflingly sure. stupid argument <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. Like, we've had these, like, we have these primaries all the time. You know, there's plenty of people that support Medicare for all that vote for candidates who don't support Medicare for all. That's, that's what's happening. It's, it's not about people not knowing they don't support Medicare for all. They're voting for another reason. Medicare for all isn't their number one. Beating Republicans is. And, and so until you could, and you know, that's like a hard, bitter pill to swallow is it's like a lot of Democrats, their number one priority is beating Republicans. It's not any policy. It is just mm-hmm. beating the other side and wanting to win. You know, that's why Joe Biden is the nominee. That's why Hillary Clinton was the nominee. That is why John Kerry was the nominee. That's why Dukakis was the nominee. That's why Mondale was the nominee because they were the safe choice who is going to bend, you know, you know, as a moderate, he's going to appeal to the right and they're a shoe in to win. And, and so, so a lot of, there's a long tradition of Democrats voting, not for their, with their hearts, but with their, with their heads. And unfortunately their heads are pumped full of bullshit. Uh, and so just having, you know, okay, you know, Nancy Pelosi, gets to you know they do a floor vote on medicare for all it goes down in flames then what you know nina turner was the strongest advocate for medicare medicare for all you could be and none of these people were anywhere to be found they were shitting on nina turner they were haranguing her from the sidelines they were not and she used to be cozy with them like she spoke at the people's party convention last year why she i mean so if you want my spiciest take of the night but Nina Turner was by far and away the coziest of these of these mainstream politicians to what I what Sam Cedar has termed the dumb dumb left. She went to the you know movement for a People's Party uh, a convention. She you know was most friendly with people like Tulsi Gabbard. She was mm-hmm. out there you know uh, talking to you know saying she supported force the vote in January. You know there's there's you know um, Jimmy Dore had a video on it. Um, and so she was always, you know, the most signally towards them, you know, her eat the bull of shit comment, which we mentioned earlier, half a bull of shit. That was kind of the, you know, the most important thing you got to do is, is attack Democrats and that's going to fire people up. It, it's just not true. It didn't work. It's not <laughs> what, you know, Democratic base voters in Cleveland, you know, poor people in Cleveland, they're not sitting there going, God dang, I hate Joe Biden so much. Um, that's just not, that's just not what's moving people. And the sooner, you know, it may move you. It moves me. I'm not a fan of Joe Biden, but it's not winning elections. You're not going to win elections on that kind of message alone. You need something more and it has to be more in touch 
with the material needs of the people in your district and you have to make those relationships with those people. I think part of the part of the reason that this kind of conversation becomes tricky as well is there's this kind of rhetorical move that a lot of these folks kind of fall back on where if you kind of criticize any of these strategies or if you if you push back on this on this narrative about the squad or Nina Turner or any of this stuff and they'll say like it, you know it, you want to make it so it's just illegal to criticize any of these people or you want to just like return these treat these politicians as celebrities or things like that which again is not true as well I don't think any politician should be like above reproach or above criticism how dare you talk um, about Bernie like that yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, well, first of all, I mean, Bernie's been number one team player now in terms of like trying to shepherd the Biden agenda and trying to do good things. And for some reason, like he doesn't get quite the same amount of like ire as maybe some of these other, you know, politicians do, young, uh, which we can speculate women. why that might be. Yeah, that's kind of kind of interesting. But um, I also agree that like no one should be treated like a celebrity and that no one, even if even these kind of like uh, popular, progressive, you know, insurgent Congress people should be above criticism as well. So on that front, do you think that they have wielded the power that they have as a block, like as effectively as they could have over the last uh, six months, like since since the Biden administration uh, began? You know, I was kind of like I understood the strategy of like let's let's kind of play nice with the establishment. We kind of tried our power play with the Bernie campaign; it didn't work. Biden's the president, so let's play nice and see how things shake out. But it's been, you know, it's been uh, six months. We've seen a lot of their their big, bold, ambitious agenda kind of stall. And do you think that, you know, people like AOC or Ilhan Omar or Shida Talib, Cory Bush, do you think that they are wielding that power as effectively as they could be? Do you think maybe they should be more forceful in pushing back against the priorities that, you know, Biden and, and people like Nancy Pelosi have been uh, have been displaying? Where do you, where would you grade them in terms of like how they've how they've wielded their their power in this in the first six months of the, the Biden administration? You know, I I, I got to be honest, I, I come from the Northeast and um, in the Northeast, we have a tradition of very bare knuckle politics and and violent politics. And um, I was just talking to my I was talking to my stream about you know Philadelphia and labor. Philadelphia is one of the strongest labor union cities in the country, and it's because people know that if you don't hire union labor, you're going to suffer consequences, sometimes extra legal. Uh, and at the very least, you're going to have people with a giant inflatable rat outside your, your business. You're going to have people, you know, screaming about how you are hurting people, how you have unsafe work conditions, you underpay people, you know, it's going to be known and you're going to be facing a, you're going to be facing hell if you don't hire people with good wages, if you don't hire union, you know, workers, if you don't provide, you know, benefits for your people, that's, that's the way it is. So for me... I got to tell you, if it was me in Congress, I would be much more of a gadfly. I would be much more in their face. I would be much more wanting to blow up deals for things like the $15 minimum wage. You know, for me, I think that's been in the party platform since 2016. Um, there is absolutely no excuse to not pass a $15 minimum wage when we haven't had a minimum wage increase since, since George W. Bush signed it. Barack Obama did not raise the minimum wage once in office. That's pathetic to go through another Democratic presidency with the House, with the Senate, and not even raise the minimum wage one dollar is completely absurd. And so if it were me, I kind of hear this criticism. 
You know, yeah. I, I would be voting crap down. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, the, and the, the truth is that the progressive block, they have a conundrum. A lot of them want good things to happen. And they know whenever Republicans have power, things are just going to get worse. And so they get trapped in this catch-22 of, hey, if you block this, nothing's going to get better. Or you could accept this kind of quarter of a loaf, third way, means-tested program that will marginally help some people, right? Are you going to shoot that down? And a lot of them are gun-shy. You know, they, they've grown up in this kind of post-Reagan era. And they're scared to be the person that shoots it down. And, you know, as Nina Turner has experienced, if you're that person that shoots down a major policy of Joe Biden, that's going to be a problem for you politically. You, you are going to be seen as not on the team. And, you know, so I, I get Which it. is weird also because you see people like Cinema and Joe Manchin doing that, but not, not suffering those same consequences to the same extent. Well... Yes and no, because, and this is the hopeful moment, because to me, I've been, I've been talking about this with cinema is her popularity is just cratering in Arizona. She's like 10 points less popular than Mark Kelly, who's kind of the other nondescript Democrat out of Arizona. And there's, she's got disapproval from Democrats, you know, in the thirties, mid thirties, which is just absurd. Like typically you get 100% of your party behind you in these kind of senatorial races. So I, I do think there is damage being done to to cinema and i think she is an opportunity to primary her just on that you know not a team player argument um but yeah i mean that's that's the political calculation and and to me i do think they need to i think they need to play chicken better you know i don't think joe biden's gonna want to go down in flames to not do a minimum wage increase maybe he would but like i think they could fight for that stuff um and you know the republicans the last time they passed a minimum wage increase do you know what it was guys this is this is deep cut uh, it would no. That was that was it was actually 2007, but uh, 2009 was when the last minimum wage went into effect. But, I mean procedurally, this is a deep cut. I'm Gosh. sorry, I didn't mean to quiz you. <laughs> I didn't study. I always have this dream, and now it's happening. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jordan, but <laughs> I'm also naked right now. So basically, the last minimum <laughs> well, that's wage always increase... though. That's like not a that's not a rare thing for Rob. Well, oh so. Jesus Christ! You're supposed to be on Twitch. All right, but that's why we do up, this Rob. on video. I, I enjoy it. Don't stand up, Rob. Okay. Um, and uh, well, it was passed through a a military like a must pass military thing, and it got bunch of Republican votes because they passed it through through that must pass military budget bill. And the Democrats did that out of the House. And the Republicans voted for it. And it ended up getting like 80 some votes. That's how you do this. You put things in to things that must pass. And if they say no, then it goes down. And they're not going to say no. Uh, so, the, so the progressives have got to learn to flex that muscle. Sorry for the long rambling response. Hopefully there was something of value in there. But my answer to your question shortly is no, they're not exercising their power enough. I forget what the question was. Um, <laughs> wait, the question was, why is Rob naked? Uh, <laughs> well, God, I was just trying to derail Mike. Um, no, but I think the question is like, cause we talked about, you know, forced to vote and whether that was a, that was a good strategy or not. Um, ultimately though, like the, the question is like, should they be, putting more pressure on the establishment of the party to pass things that the base, the, that their base, the people that support these big progressive initiatives care about. Um, and I would actually agree that they, they have not been doing enough and they do need to do more. 
Um, and that's the tricky thing about these these things with you have people like criticizing Cory Bush for doing this like important uh, this important protest to to expand this uh, eviction moratorium. Um, that doesn't mean that that Cory Bush or anyone else should be like beyond criticism or that you shouldn't be able to like point these things out. Uh, but it just seems like a weird it's a, it's like picking these weird moments to make this argument like when they're actually in the process of literally doing something important. That's when they're being criticized the most. You know, that's what I don't really understand. But overall, that yeah, I do think actually that the the squad and these progressive uh, members of Congress should be wielding this influence more uh, and and pushing back more forcefully when it seems like the the big bold and uh, ambitious agenda that we've talked about that that was kind of being proposed initially has stalled out. You know, they should be, I, in my opinion doing more to put pressure on on the Biden administration and, and Pelosi to make this stuff happen. And I'm not sure, I don't, I don't really think that they're doing it. Well, no. And I, I also think, that, like it goes back to Mike's point earlier, that they aren't, so these people who are demanding that progressives in Congress take these bold, uh, confrontational stances and, and deploy these confrontational tactics aren't providing an alternative to, to you know the response that hey maybe this isn't the best approach we saw that even people who support it the but like just the inability to recognize like okay maybe because this is complex um maybe you should think about things in a little bit of a broader context that we when people were you know hey what do you think about force the vote what do you think about this and that Early on in this year, Rob and I talked about it briefly uh, with with Dan Evans, Dan from the internet, and we said, okay, if you want to, you know, do this, why don't you do this on every piece of legislation, every big piece of legislation where you need the progressive voting block? Because they really only have like a three or four vote gap, uh, or else Democrats can't pass anything in the House. And that we even suggested that, which would lead to the same result in this hypothetical led to just complete tumult. People couldn't handle it. So these aren't serious people. These aren't serious thinkers. And I think about that clip to bring up Michael Brooks again, where he's mocking a certain failed comedian, um, saying like, hey, look, if you want to do commentary and that's it and just be kind of hyperbolic and hysterical and sensational, go for it. That's fine. There's a space for that. But don't get mad at people if they want to think about these things a little bit more structurally because there is procedure involved. It's complex. It's tough. It's not always pretty and it might not be what you like. But... It's no one's fault for just actually understanding the, the, the real landscape. It's very easy to be sensational. It's very easy to be hyperbolic. Um, and, and that's just, that's just, it, it is what it is. Then they, and they, they seem to be poised to do that with the infrastructure bill. They're not going to exchange their votes for a failed Medicare for all vote, uh, because that doesn't seem like a good exchange. But, what they're going to try to do is is stand their ground in the house. Hopefully, we'll see. They said they will. Maybe they'll cave. But that's something that they can do, and that's something that we suggested, and people were very, very upset about that. Well, you know, guys, this reminds me of something from a few years ago, which which you may, may remember called the Red State Revolt. Do you guys remember the teachers' mm -hmm. unions in Oklahoma and West Virginia? The wildcat strikes, yep. Did, yes, did wildcat strikes. If you know what that means, it basically means yeah. an illegal strike. Um, bottom up, bottom up too. Yeah. And they refused to go to work and they eventually, because, you know, people need teachers, you know, teachers are absolutely necessary. Schools being open is very important as we're learning with COVID, right? You know, when the schools are not open, that prevents parents from going back to work and all sorts of other things. And there's been big fights about getting, getting schools back open. And the thing is when they did those wildcat strikes in Oklahoma and West Virginia, the Republicans in power 
caved. They gave them what they wanted. Eventually, because they were organized, because they flexed their power, and they did it outside the electoral system, they were able to extract concessions, right? And so, similarly, a couple years ago, with the government shutdown, uh, one of the most prominent socialist labor leaders in America is a woman named Sarah Nelson, who's the president of the Flight Attendants Union, um, one of the larger labor unions in this country. And she said, and she organized with, uh, which is ALPA, which is the Airline Pilots Association, the, during the government shutdown, air traffic controllers were forced to go to work, even though they weren't getting a paycheck. They had to keep showing up to work and keep doing their job for no pay for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. And the government shutdown eventually ended because Sarah Nelson went out there with the Alpha and said, we're not going to take off. We're just going to have a strike. We don't think it's safe to have, you know, uh, air traffic controllers that are not being paid. We're not going to do it. And, and they stood in solidarity with the air traffic controllers. And within a day or two, when it became apparent that they were serious and they were really going to do that thing, suddenly the government was able to come to a compromise and get the budget passed. So we need to help these people and we need to support organizations on the ground and doing direct action to support these politicians. It's not just them doing things procedurally in the Congress and then suddenly they're going to rescue us because they figured out this one neat trick to hack the parliamentary procedure. It's about a whole movement and having pressure being exerted and from all different angles to back them up. And I can tell you what won't help is every time some of them post on Twitter, you know, screeching in their comments section about how they're the fraud squad or saying <laughs> hashtag go watch my YouTube channel or, you know, like that's not going to get the ball across the line, you know, uh, I think, and I could just make one more point, which is I think people lose sight of what the purpose of things like this podcast are or my show is or or our Twitter feeds. It's not that we're doing all of the work. It's about political education. It's about organization. It's about agitation. That's what these things do. But they're not the whole bang. They're not the whole shebang. And if your feed or you, the people that you listen to are not pushing you towards real action or you get involved yourself or you support those that do, then they're kind of doing political hobbyism. They're doing something for their brand. They're not doing something that is engaged politically with achieving change. And so, you know, whenever I see these kinds of issues, I, I think back to those movements and I think about what's ineffective, which is just the Twitter complaining. Yeah. And Jordan, like you said, I mean, if they if they do stick to their guns, um, shout out to our friend of the stream stick to your guns the band excellent band um and you and wield their power to to enable to get this thing through then yeah that would be great and if they don't do that if they do cave then they should be criticized for it um but like uh, like mike what you're pointing out as well i think it's important to talk about which is that a lot of these conversations like what we're having with with a lot of these people that are making these comments about uh, about you know and in getting involved in the democratic party or any of these any of these kind of issues Ultimately, when you really dig into it, it's not really about politics at all, but it's about kind of a media fandom. And just like my my YouTube guy is better than your YouTube guy or my podcast guy is better than your podcast guy. And that's all it is. Um, and I think people need to be kind of more honest with themselves. My debate uh, streamer they, is better than your debate streamer. Yeah. And oh, yeah, dude. That's why I'm a big Destiny stan. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I just think it's cool that he defended Kyle Rittenhouse. That uh, means he's progressive. Listen, if somebody steals a sandwich, as long as you put a sign up saying that they will be shot 
if they steal your sandwich. You are justified morally yeah. in shooting them. <laughs> I agree with that as well. I'm glad we're all in agreement on that. Okay, okay. God damn it. Why did you go down this rabbit hole? <laughs> Richard Wolf who? What? Who is yeah. this old man? He doesn't play Minecraft. <laughs> when we were talking about our little conversation about history and the, the, the role of the Soviet Union uh, in winning World War II and the, the things like Operation Paperclip, um, he invited me on his stream for one of his, his, his patented debates. And I was just like, absolutely yeah. not. No, I would no. never... Never do that. That sounds there's absolutely nothing, horrible to me. There's nothing to be gained there. Yeah. No one's walking away from okay, any you internet guys are really stepping like, oh, on my something. future Charlie Kirk debate, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it really, really, by the way, twitch.tv slash central underscore committee for all of these amazing takes every day, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. or 7 a.m., excuse me, Pacific, Monday through Sunday. Just come on in and hang out with me, you know, come on in. Yeah. You should go go on in. It's yeah. a safe and space. then after you can check out my stream just as well, my, which is uh, also you know you can go to friends of the show Lucid Fox. You could go to uh, <laughs> Abelina Sabrina. I think Rob's not Rob's probably not the end destination, but <laughs> <laughs> he's working very hard. He's trying to get to that level. You know, going forward, uh, you know, talking about politics and and you know, listen, this is the the Congress is going to be on vacation for six weeks now. I can't, I can't even imagine a six week vacation. Like my mind cannot like understand it. You know, like I, what would you even do? Can you remember where your like office is? Like, how do you, <laughs> what happens after six weeks? Doesn't your brain just reset? How do you do it? Yeah, I don't know. It's, well, as again, to bring it back to the beginning of the conversation, when you're dedicated toiling away in the content minds, then that's kind of for the furthest thing from your, <laughs> from your mind. Yeah. I was thinking so. about going on a trip and I was like, okay, I'm going to like buy a laptop. And like, I'm going to stream for like four hours a day at least. Yeah. You could get that, you can get that backpack that Hassan brought to Nevada when we were knocking doors for Bernie. Hassan had this like satellite backpack that he would wear on his stomach. (laughs) And he just did IRL streaming, canvassing and walking around the strip. And he looked like this, a fucking dork. I've got, you know, he looked like a terrorist, honestly, because he looked like a bomb. I I had this like absurd picture. Whoa, canceled. Oh yeah, I'll say it. I'll say it. When we were doing like a canvas launch, I got this picture of him in the front yard where he's got this camera out in front of him and this goofy ass backpack wearing sweater, <laughs> a sweater and khakis in the, in the Nevada heat. Uh, it, was, it was, it's very, very funny. Well, you know, but you just suck get that. this for the fashion, okay? And this stream must be fed. You know, you can't. You That's can't commitment avoid to content, it. though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because I went to um, California for Super Tuesday and, uh, I went, I stayed at a friend's house and I streamed from their computer. Like I, the content must be fed. Like I'm, I'm not going to miss a day. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, that was one thing I realized when I started doing Twitch, I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. And then after like two weeks, it's like, okay, so I really have to do this every week now Yeah, forever. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, but I enjoy it. I, yeah, I, 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 I do. I think Twitch is actually really great for political you know, as much as I, what we're crapping on it, I actually think it's one of the best ways to get political engagement because of the interactivity between, you know, the audience and the streamer. People could ask me questions and they frequently do about how do I get involved? How do I run for office? How do I, you know, achieve change in my local community? And I can give that like, you know, feedback or or when I'm talking about something, they can ask a, a question to help clarify it. You know, if something I said didn't make sense to you. You can participate and i think that that is like much more conducive to left-wing thinking than some of the more traditional broadcast media like radio which is you know 
where somebody from on high gives you BART marketing orders, and that work, works really well for the right. I think something like streaming really works well for for the left, and I think that's why you know you're seeing so many left wing streamers have success is because of um, just the nature of the format. Yeah, and just being able to talk about things with a little nuance versus the kind of hot take of Twitter world, you know, where you know nothing really is ever really resolved, and everyone's kind of firing off their their different hot takes, and it's a way to like actually talk through things and and you know interact with people and interrogate different perspectives and yeah. stuff. I like I, it's good. It's good. Yeah, and we were like we're going a little long, Mike. Uh, you already did your plugs. Your ex, uh, you know, oh. uh, expert broadcaster professional broadcaster sure. you can see you already did your plugs so but thanks, thanks a lot for coming on the, on the program like that's that's yeah. fine like no. twitch.tv slash yeah, i think we're good yeah no no <laughs> rob rob was rob's gonna plug himself mike from pa on twitter uh we i didn't miss that <laughs> we'll put them all in, we we link them all in the show description for each episode too so yeah. people have a direct oh link. great we're pros well thanks mike thanks for coming on the program it's great well, to talk I, to you i had a blast i hope i made some sense I'll I'll find it in the edit. That's the miracle of podcast editing. I'll... You sounded like a dumbass, but Rob will salvage it. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Jesus, thank God for Rob. You know, yeah. Many are saying this. Many are okay. saying this. You know, from his from his you know bougie lakefront property, he's going to That's save right. me and turn me That's into right. an intelligent speaker. <laughs> this is this this is what I do. It's like Obama. Okay, take take care, Mike. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban. So please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye.